Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another conversation in Building a Bridge. My name is Jesse Bizenine. My name is Jared Countess, and our mission is to empower people to use their voice to build a bridge beyond race relations, creating unity and understanding, effectively raising the collective consciousness of humanity. In our last conversation, Jared and I had, we talked about perception versus reality, and we set it to a framework of the question that Jared would have been getting a lot, you might be a racist if, and we posed a scenario of people standing on a street corner, and what are the layers that go into forming a judgment, a biased opinion, or what makes somebody a racist or not a racist around that, and all the layers of how we create our perception and therefore believe it's our reality. And if you haven't seen that one yet, we highly encourage you to go back, watch it, listen to it, because there's some really great opportunities in there to examine not just each other, but ourselves and our own behavior and how it shows up and manifests and how it's often much more complex than just simply skin color. Today, we're going to dive into, we're going to continue our conversation of perception versus reality and start to talk about justice and compassion and also introduce the discussion with policing. And I think it should be said too, before we get going, and I kick it over to Jared, that we both wanna make clear that neither one of us are in law enforcement, nor have we served in law enforcement. So this is just gonna be whatever it goes into, what it will be a very sensitive and hopefully powerful discussion in the next several weeks. The initial conversation piece will be from two people who are just sharing opinion and observational opinions from what we see as citizens, what we know as having friends, family members serving in law enforcement, and also you know, trying to take in that spectrum. So we want to give that disclaimer. Jared, how are you doing today, buddy? Oh, cool, man. That's, that's the best place to start, right? Because I told you uh, before we got on today, um, I've been frustrated, right? Um, I've been with the shutdown and COVID and just being stuck in the same place. I was talking to my sister yesterday and she was like, it's like Groundhog Day. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah. <laughs> With Bill Murray, it's like, you wake up, same place, same scenery, same thing, right? Same place, same scenery, same thing. And um, it's been, it's been frustrating, man. It's just like so much um, monotony, right? And then I had, and I live in Arizona, so I, I work out and I, you know, I try to, um, that helps me with my mind. I do Tai Chi and I do all these other things, help me with my mind to keep my mind balanced. Anyway, as things opened up in Arizona, it's a long story, sorry guys. Things opened up in Arizona. I was, I had already, I had started more meditation and all these other things, right? To make up for not having the gym, right? As things opened back up in Arizona, I had the gym again. And I was going to the gym again and I kind of fell off with some of my other mindful practices that kind of kept me sane when, when the gyms were closed. And so when, when they went to shut down the gym again, I was like, ah, oh. and, and I didn't have those practices. And so my first step was to go outside and go for a run. And I went outside at 730. It was over 100 degrees outside. Oh. And I was like, oh, God, it was just like I just went on a downward spiral of being angry. Right. And so when you talk about perception, right, uh, your emotional state from another thing or just whatever else is going on in your life, that puts that red case 
<laughs> on your perception, right? So, and, you know, all of I was supposed to be doing the work and looking under the rugs and stuff like that. But because I was things that usually don't bother me, right? Or maybe like it's just a, like a little annoyance. Now it's magnified, yeah. right? Because I'm already upset. Um, or I'm already just mildly irritable, right? So now any little irritant, just mm, that much more, right? And so this actually led me to get into an argument with a good friend and a client. And, um, and, 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 and we were talking about this dynamic the whole week, right? Because he's there, this client is in the same place, right? They're also on edge, right? <laughs> and, so, and so it was just like, and it, and, and it was just one of those things where you start to go down that path with somebody and you just, and you're both speeding towards each other, right? And you want to put on the brakes, right? And it feels like, it feels like every time you put on the brakes, they accelerate. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so it's like when you see them speed up, or not stop, you're like, well, fuck it. I'm going to just keep yeah. driving at you. Yeah. Yeah. And then, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so it happened, right? And so it happened, um, you know, and uh, we were talking about just earlier, like, and I was telling, you know, in their, in their mind, it wasn't that bad, right? And I didn't, and I didn't have to respond the way that I did. In my mind, right, it was like, um, I actually don't, you know, don't cross this, whatever, right? And they drove anyway, right? And so, but they wouldn't have, if they weren't already in an irritable, upset mood, they wouldn't have drove towards me like that. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah. Right? And if, and if I wasn't in an upset mood, the lane that they were driving in wouldn't have pissed me off. Does that, <laughs> yeah. like, like if I'm a normal Jared, I don't care. You can drive in that lane all day long. Irritated Jared, I start, my world goes like this and gets more and more like, it gets more, I get, I get less open-minded and I revert back to what I told you was before when I was younger, which was my state of like, you know, this is my circle. You if we, if you cross this line, then there's, then, then you want something from me that, you know what I mean? Like you want, you either want to take something from me or we got, we got to go. Right. And that, and that was, and so it was through talking to you like earlier when we got on, like I recognize that sometimes like um, how I grew up, the world that I grew up in conditioned me to be more aggressive in certain situations right um and um and so yeah i don't want to get too far off track anyway I'm just mad <laughs> i've been i've been irritable so that means the things that irritate me mildly irritating me greater greater um and that's again that's the perception thing yeah so it what it did was it brought some of those old things that are like back here it brought them closer to the surface does that make, that's what I mean when I say my, my world got narrower, right? Because I'm irritated. It brought anything that was like a mild annoyance that may have been when I was younger and a less integrated human and a less put together individual, right? I was, you could tell already, like, don't fucking say that to Jared. Don't do that, right? Don't cross that line, right? <laughs> like, and then, and then I've, I've become 
a better man, more complete, right? But I was like, I, ain't, I get it, you know, I, I was irritated by a lot of stuff. So it fucking vexed me. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, something I that opened you up earlier. I wanted to, you said something to me about your growth and how you're like, your perception changed from when you were younger, which is, was hard to believe. So you said something to me that I was like, what, Jesse, really? You felt that way? And uh, I was wondering if you shared that with everybody. Yeah, you know, and I think real quick, I think what's really I appreciate about you is willing to acknowledge that. And it's it's such an important piece to acknowledge. I, I've grown up and played poker most of my whole life. And lately, I found that on Amazon Fire, you could get a poker app on there. And so I've just recently, these last few weeks, been replaying it again. And it's really fun because you're actually playing against people, but you're playing on the digital fake stuff and everything. And I was reminded of, in poker, one of the best times to play poker is when somebody, your opponent, is on tilt. And what tilt is, is when somebody has played a hand and they had a good hand and they get what's called a bad beat. They had a hand that should have won, mathematically should have won, but some luck essentially happened, they lost. And that's a lot of times when the catalyst to get people on tilt where they lose a couple hands in a row. Mm -hmm. And what tilt is essentially is you start to get really emotional. You start to get emotional and more irrational your world as jared was saying starts to get really narrow your perception of everything changes and so what you're looking at is all the stuff that fuels the fire of the frustration the anger the injustice that you're feeling in that moment and so what happens in poker is when you have somebody in that state they're not really thinking rationally anymore what they're trying to think of is trying to think of how do i get even how do i catch up how do i how do i make how do I get back at this person who just visited this injustice on me, took, you know, stole my money because they got lucky and they shouldn't have been in the hand. And you love a play against that person because you know, they're going to make bad mistakes. You know, they're going to make bad decisions. I can remember what, one of the biggest poker pots I ever won. I was against playing against this guy who was sitting to my left and he was on tilt. He had taken a bad beat and he went into a hand with me that he didn't have any business going in, especially if he had been paying attention to how I played. He's put all his money in. I knew I would have him beat. As soon as I called, he was already pulling his wallet out to buy more money back in. And there was a part of me that felt bad because I could see psychologically, emotionally what he's doing, but also the game of poker invites that kind of behavior, right? It's one of the things of it. So I, I really appreciate I a lot of that, Jared, <laughs> because I think a lot of us, given the dynamics of the world, we find ourselves in a place where we're on tilt. We find ourselves in a place where we're more sensitive than we may be, that we are in this very narrow, we're, we're not in a narrow way of thinking, but we're in a narrow, we might find our, our options narrowing because we're seeing all these obstacles that might not normally be there. And some of these obstacles are being vocalized more than they would normally be. And in that vocalization, there might be discussions or disagreements or arguments in ways there might not have been before. And when we're in a perception versus reality dynamic, right, we're often looking to see things that are going to justify the reality that we believe we're experiencing. And it becomes a very, if we have this field of vision, we narrow it very quickly down to this so that we can focus on what is going to make sense of the world that we want to see or as we believe we see it. Yes. And 
I just, I appreciate you bringing that up, man, because it's a very real thing. I, I definitely felt it so many times through this and I can feel myself at times doing the same thing going into that. I think all of us can. And it's not an easy thing to talk about because when we're talking about it, what we also have to acknowledge is, is that we're still being this human animal that is responding to thousands, tens of thousands of years of programmed biology that as conscious as we might like to say, or as awoke as we might like to think we are sometimes, we are still that human animal that is responding to us. Now, awareness can always precede transformation. We can definitely have these conversations and, and, and talk about it. And then hopefully that allows us to grow, evolve, expand, evolve, expand, evolve, expand. And that's where that raising the conscious piece comes from. But I think to even get there, we have to first acknowledge exactly that, that we end up on tilt at times. Yes. And that there can be people that are friends that we're like, that we know they're probably not meaning something by whatever it is, how we're perceiving them. But because we're perceiving them that way in the moment and we're meaning making machines all the time, we're making a meaning that what they are saying, we're perceiving as they are trying to do X, Y, and Z to me or make me feel X, Y, and Z, which is whatever it is I'm thinking or feeling at that moment. And we don't ask them, hey, Jared, are you trying to make me feel pissed off? What we'll usually say is, dude, you're pissing me off. No, you know what's crazy? I am aware enough to ask that question. You are. <laughs> I, am, I am aware enough to ask that question. And it usually and, and it usually stumps people and they're like Yeah, nobody knows because you don't hear it. Self-destructs the it, it really self-destructs the programming line because we don't do that. Yes. We don't ask the question. Well make the statement. So sometimes you do that and you try to break that person's program and then they keep going anyway. Right? Or they make an excuse and they're like, well, blah 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 blah. Right. And or I ask, I ask the, I ask the question in a, I ask it in an ultimatum way because by the time I'm asking that question, I am pissed off, and so when I ask it, I'm not asking it in the in, in the terms of like, are you are you trying to piss me off? Like I'm asking like, are you trying to piss me off? Like because if so, then then you do know the next step to this. Hmm. The next <laughs> the next steps. <laughs> so that's the look of my face, the tone of my voice. And everything else, I'm like, you know, and, and some people like to push buttons. Like that some people get a rise out of that. Absolutely. I do not get a rise out of it, but I also don't, I don't know, I have to work on that. So I play poker too, right? And I am actually, I'm a, the way that I play, I put a lot of people on tilt. So I, I, I like, so I play poker to the point, like when I first, moved to California, I played poker, like poker was my profession for like a year, hmm. right? <laughs> so like I, they, they just filed, they just passed the tax deadline. I have, I have, I have, I have to put poker into my, into my taxes, right? So, <laughs> so, so, um, so needless, I'm, I'm, I'm a decent player, but the reason I am not a great player is because of what you just said, Right. It has nothing in like if you talk to poker players and like it's usually the mental game that yeah. separates people, right? Um, and how you can maintain an even keel 
like when you go through a, a downswing or something like that. Or even the worst part is, here's the, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. But I'm telling you, hey, look, so we're there, right? So we might as well keep going. Um, expose all Jared's flaws and vices and everything else. So when I played poker, like exclusively, like when I played it, like for a living, right? I had two issues, right? One, bankroll management, which is, because poker is like, you have to have a certain amount you can lose to win, but you win over the long haul, right? So one was bankroll management. Uh, matter of fact, you know, anyway, never mind. <laughs> I was buying expensive stuff because it was like, it's money. Right? <laughs> so, you know, you go out and you're like, oh, I mean, you know, whatever tonight. <laughs> money, money, money burning a hole in the pocket or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that bankroll management and two, when you really play poker, like for real, for real, for real, it can be boring as fuck. It can be extremely boring, especially if you're talking about like six, eight, 12 hours. And like, you're really there just to make money and you make every decision you make is calculated and you just, and it's just super monotonous. I already know what I'm going to do before you, before you put your bet out, before you put your card out. I'm like, I'm already playing the last street. If this happens, this happens, this happens, blah, 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 blah. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. So what I, so the second problem I would find is that I would want to gamble after I played. Like, so oh. I, I remember, I remember this is a terrible story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. All right. So like I said, I don't mind. Fuck it, guys. You guys can judge me if you want. I remember I have played one night for like eight, seven or eight hours. And I was playing, I wasn't playing long enough to really move really high up. So I made like six or 700 bucks that night, right? Yeah, about 100, which is decent. 100 bucks an hour is decent for poker, right? Like if you're playing on the long haul. But it was such, it was, it was such a hard, sometimes you come in and you fucking make a couple thousand, right? Or it, 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 and sometimes you don't, right? It was such a hard $600 to make. Like I literally made the right, calculated decision like 99% of the time right and it was just like they call it grinding yeah I just grind it and so I was like on my way out and I was like oh I'll play this little uh three card poker game <laughs> while and I ordered food and I was like I'll play this little three card poker game while I wait for my my breakfast because I've been there all night my breakfast to get to the table and I literally, in the 20 minutes that it took for my breakfast to get to the table, I lost all my winnings. <laughs> I lost eight hours of work because, because I, I got such a high from actually, like, gambling. <laughs> I was just – and so that was, like, one of the first times that I really started to understand. Um, let's see if I got it here. Is it in here? Oh, man. Uh, it's this great book called Willpower. Oh, I don't have it. Okay, it's this great book called Willpower. And it talks about willpower being finite. So the whole premise of the book, right? And, um, and the premise of the book is you have to learn compassion, understand it with yourself, blah, 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 blah. Because you, you can have willpower, but there needs to be a reward, right? And you have to be cognizant of what the reward is so that when you get it, you feel it right? 
and that's how you restore your willpower, right? And we can break it down into a chemical thing, dopaminergic, serotonin, all that kind of stuff. And we can see as people use willpower, we can see their dopamine serotonin levels drop, right? Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is if you've been using a lot of willpower, your dopamine and serotonin levels, specifically dopamine levels are super low. So you're going to look for a dopamine spike, right? It's the same as a person that's in a really stressed out situation and they've been stressed for a long time. They're going to look for some kind of dopamine spike because their body is craving it because they haven't had a fucking sense of happiness and they've been fucking stressed for a long time. So what happened was I finished playing poker and it was just a grind for eight hours straight of controlled methodical decisions because I didn't feel good about making $600 because I had to work so hard for it. And I, and I could, I've, I've made so much more money in such a much short amount of time as a poker player. Right. And it wasn't like I lost, or I wasn't, wasn't happy. I wasn't upset. I was just like drained. Yeah. Right? And so then when I got that first little hint of a win, that dopamine spike playing that damn game in 20 minutes, I managed to lose, all that money just not even like just looking for that that boost right oh. that high and so uh mind you i've never played that game again so, <laughs> <laughs> that's good never again in life. i look at it and i'm like i just like ah <laughs> like i've never played that game again um but um so i guess what am i saying all that to say i'm saying that to say i play poker too I understand the stress, um, but also to say that when you are stressed out or when everything else, you're in your, you're more fight or flight um, type of behavior, right? So you go through life, right? In a stress, when you're in a stress state or in a higher stress state, you're either looking for something to make you feel good or to attack anything that makes you feel bad. Yep. And those are the only two, that's what this zone is. Everything else, I'm either, I just, I just want to feel good or attack the things that might make me feel bad. And you fall into that space, right? And the more we get here, the more we do this. And that is, and that is the, the, like a, a huge essence of a problem. Cause then you're not really perceiving anything. You don't have, well, you, okay. I take that back. You're only perceiving advantage and threat. That's it. Advantage and threat. Benefit, negative. Right? Black, white. (laughs) Nothing beyond that. Right? And so I think part of the the first step, and this is the hard part for everybody right now, part of the first step for us opening up our perception, right, is to get out of that fight or flight. Get out of that threat advantage mentality that I like it or I don't like it mentality and say, well, are there parts of this that I like, right? Other than the parts that I don't like. And then this thing that I like, are there parts of it that I don't like, right? And then being able to open ourselves up to be honest enough about it. Because when you ask that question, right? Like they're like, okay, so I'm going to dig on the police as a civilian, right? The black guy growing up. So what I would tell everybody or I would tell people to understand is that my grandfather was a cop, right? 
I spoke to my grandmother, what was it, a week ago or a week and a half ago? And she told me, you know, as I'm on the phone, I'm throwing my grandma under the bus. <laughs> right? um, grandfather was cop. Don't, I don't trust cops. Your grandfather didn't trust cops, even though he was a cop. Mm. Don't, you know, don't just, don't just trust cops. Cops ain't all good, blah, 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 blah. Right? Now, why does my grandmother have that perception? Because when she was young, in her community, cops really were not the good guys. Then my dad was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. He could turn on the news and see black people getting beat up by cops. So that colored his perception of cops going into his whole life, right? Even though his dad was a cop. Is that, am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that perception, and like I said, I talked to my grandmother a week ago, that perception of cops, don't get me wrong, does my grandma call the cops if there's a problem? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but most of the time, <laughs> yes, right? But she's also seen, she's seen kids in her neighborhood strip searched by cops, right? She's seen that, she's seen that in every orifice checked, on the street, in public. Right, in the, in her neighborhood was the same neighborhood I lived in, but and that happens, right? And if you've never seen it happen before, you've never seen somebody make somebody spread their cheeks on the street in public, then you don't understand why some people's perception or how they perceive police may be different from how you perceive police. Now, was that officer doing his job? Possibly. Did he have to do it? there right could he have taken that kid in or something like that probably right so it's 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 you have like these layers right to to how people see the police like we were talking about there are layers right and so one of the layers of people in the black community i think people need to understand is that their grandparents and their parents right, had real live instances, which all of us can see, all of us can look back through the history of the United States and see these real life instances where police were not the good guys to, to that community at times, a, a large portions of time, right, in general, right, and so if you can look at that and see that, right, then you can understand that that colors the perception, so that when, when it, so it's like you, see what the cop is doing and you only perceive the wrongs. Does that make any kind of sense? Because your, your, your information, your structure, your layers are built off of, well, this was the wrong I saw done here in the past. This was the wrong that my parents taught me to watch out for, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so when you see it, you, you only see that. And you, you build this barrier between, I don't know that cop or that police officer as a person. I only know them as an entity, right? And not as, a, and, and not as, as, and not as something else. And so what I, what I wanted you to do after I explained that, I wanted you to invite, invite you to talk about how you were raised to see the police, right? And what you saw from police officers when you were growing up, right? 
Yeah, I appreciate that, Jared. And <clears throat> I want to I want to just help echo your point and ask you a question. What color is my shirt? White. <laughs> and how do you know it's white? <laughs> because it's lighter than your skin. But you've been taught that this color is white. Yes. Right? There you go. I've and been taught, that had been taught and it had been reinforced your whole life that this color is red, you would know it and see it as red, even though yes. I would tell you, well, this is clearly a white shirt. Yes. Right. And go. so I think that's a really important point to echo what you just said much of our perceptions have been taught on this specific instances that occur in our life that, that cause the most emotional arousal. Yes. Right. So if we have instances that put us in a state of fear, put us in a state of anger, put us in a state of joy, the extremes, that's why all of our lives are snapshots of specific moments. We don't categorize our day by the 24 hours we lived. We categorize our day by the one or two moments that had the greatest emotion attached to them. So we define days as good and bad, not based on the day in its entirety, but on the specific moments that happen each day. And that's not to say this is good, bad, right, or wrong. What this is to say is because it sounds like some of those things that Jared said, and I think he said it in a really great way, there's some messed up stuff that happened and maybe they were doing their job. Maybe they weren't, maybe they were doing it, but did they have to do it in that way? Right. There's all sorts of paths we could go down and we could discuss and debate. So just as a big picture of the human being, recognize that we're always attaching meaning to the moments that stand out, which is why most of us who are watching and listening to this right now cannot remember the color shirt that our child, our husband, our wife, our girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, was wearing three days ago. Now, that's somebody that we would probably say, I love them more than anything, but if we're really sitting with it, we're not because we're not paying that much attention. Now, if it was a special day or something significant happened, we might, or now since I'm prompting you, you might, but the truth of it is, is most of Estonians think in those ways, right? And then we can say, we can romanticize it all we want. Well, I don't see the colors on my, my person, you know, the colors that they're wearing or whatever it is. I just see the person I love. I see my wife. I see my husband. It, 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 we don't have to even justify it. It's just recognizing that we all have perceptions that we have. And it, we're attributing that to whatever is going to have the most emotional significance and meaning. That's humanity. That's human nature. And sort of answer now Jared's question about how I was raised with the police. You know, growing up where I grew up, <clears throat> I didn't have such a, a life or death type dynamic that I think Jared grew up in. Mine was much more, uh, you'd have more drugs. And I grew up in Northern California, which is, I, I think it's still called the Emerald Triangle. It's, it's Humboldt County has largely been one of the marijuana capitals of the world. It was a place that was, when I was a kid, it was really severely economically impacted because the timber, timber industry was largely regulated and shut down in many ways. And you used to have a lot of the, there's still up there is some of the biggest redwood trees in the world. Well, some of the bigger mills got closed down because there's new regulations put down. And I think, at least as I understand it from my limited perception, it is uh, people, many folks, went from that and started growing marijuana because it was an easy crop to grow up in that climate and you can make a really good profitability margin with it. Well, 
with that comes other things. There's even a documentary on Netflix called Murder Mountain, which again, we'll talk about perception. That place is up there. And if you watch that with no other insight, you would look at it and think it's a wild, wild west up there of people killing each other over marijuana. Is there an element of that? Absolutely. Is there also the opposite of that? For sure, definitely. Right? There's only multiple sides to every story. But what I was raised and what I remember largely from the police officers is, is there was always a focus on drugs and those types of things. So we had a, I remember we had D.A.R.E. program as a kid. I, I remember I wrote an essay about D.A.R.E. going through the D.A.R.E. The officer would come in. I still remember our D.A.R.E. officer's name. It's funny. I can actually see his face right now. He kind of looked like a, he kind of looked a little bit like one of the Mario brothers, Mario in a way, but just with a thinner mustache. And I remember him coming in and I wrote an essay and I, I got a little dare pin because of it, you know, and it was taught very early on, on having that, that the cops were supposed to be allies because what we were playing in the dynamic was drugs are bad. I just heard Mr. Mackey from South Park, drugs are bad. Okay. <laughs> and that was, that was, that was really it. You know, we didn't have those dynamics like a, we didn't really start to have, or at least I wasn't aware of more gang type presence until junior high and high school. And even then the kids that we were hearing about that were in gangs, I remember there's one local gang called the SAGs. That was what they were because they would, they, they're called the SAGs because they would sag their pants down below their hips. But it was always kind of comical because I knew who these kids were. You know, I remember having sleepovers at some of their houses when I was really young and, you know, one of them being afraid of wetting the bed. And so now he's going to be a, a gangbanger. You know, that was just how I, I attributed it to it. It was like, this is so funny. Like that would be, you know, they're, they're going to be gangs because I would come down and visit family in Southern California where there would be really real discussions about bloods and crips. And that seemed so much scarier to me because I didn't know them. I didn't grow up with them. And you know, that whole dynamic. So I knew these kids to some degree. And yeah, so, you know, I always looked at it as that very much growing up as there was this relationship of it. And I remember too, one time, right when I got my license, I rolled a stop sign through town. There was a four-way stop. I rolled right through it. It wasn't going fast. I just kind of rolled it because I had some of the first times I had friends in the car. We were trying to be cool, whatnot. And there was a cop right there. Cop pulls up behind me, puts his lights on, and we were going, my friend's mom owned this store, and we would go and play video games in the back of the store, and that's where we were going to play video games. And I went into panic mode. I went into panic mode not because of, of rolling the stop sign. I went into panic mode because I was so afraid. I knew I had done something wrong, and I was so afraid that then it was going to come back to, and I lived most of my life as a child trying not to get in trouble because I didn't want to upset my mom. And that here I was now had this responsibility and I was going to upset my mom and my, my life I had lived focusing on trying to manage my mom's, my perception of my mom's unhappiness. And now I was going to break the law, which was going to really make my mom unhappy, which then in that moment made me feel like the ultimate failure. And I remember pulling in there and jumping out of the car, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. And, you know, the officer shines lights, telling me stay right there and, and give my license and everything. And, uh, it was just saying like, yeah, I'm so sorry. You know, I wasn't just, we did something stupid. We're just going here to play video games, not doing anything bad. Nobody's doing anything. We're just literally going here to play video games. And I'm really sorry. And he let me off with a warning. You know, he left me off with a warning. And 
it's funny. I haven't thought about that for a long time, but that was, those were my first two real encounters with law enforcement. The first one was with, through dare. The second one was that there was some sort of space of, if I was honest and made an honest mistake, maybe that could be understood or forgiven. And that's from a very, very small town. And then growing up and having different experiences with people over time. And and now looking at it from even, I think, a more global perspective, opinions have changed a little bit since then. I, I, especially when we're looking at the dynamic that is playing out right now, I think it's very easy and convenient for I think society, we've gotten brilliantly good at putting people in boxes. Yes. And, and we put them so much, we put people in boxes, not so much for us, but more so to make it clear how they are not like us and we are not like them. And we put them in boxes, just the same as I'm putting a we in a box right now, broad generalization to put us all in the same boat together. So <laughs> you have to forgive me if you're hearing this and you're, you're immediately excusing yourself from the vote. This isn't to personalize this about you. It's just to try to illustrate a point. And, you know, you can definitely talk about this afterwards. <clears throat> we, we put things in boxes. We put people in boxes. And in so doing, we remove accountability and responsibility in ourselves. We put people in boxes and attribute behaviors as them versus me. I would never this, they would never this. And this isn't to excuse them. I think what we're going to start to, tiptoe into right now is going to be a much longer discussion on policing and where that goes. But I do want to say this, uh, will I acknowledge that there are some police officers that do some really horrible shit, awful behaviors? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I also acknowledge that I think there's some police officers that do some really extraordinary, incredible things that do some extraordinary, incredible things that for most of us, we probably can't even imagine what they have to go through and what they have to wade through every day. I think that the, and I'll also say this too, I think the policing problem isn't so much a policing problem as, I mean, it is, but it's a societal problem too. In the sense of, you know, many of us live our lives so unbelievably blessed that we live in a world where we can send other people because it's their job to deal with the stuff that we don't have to so we can sleep well at night. And are there some changes that need to happen? Absolutely. We can get in the whole dynamic discussion of what, in the world that if it was me in charge, what would I like to see change and what that looks like and what you could. But I think one of the things that has to first happen in going into this is to acknowledge that there are human beings there. And, And if we put all those human beings in a box, in the same box as the really bad examples, we're not gonna get anywhere. Yes. That, that is the goal of the conversation, right? To me, like, so the, the first step when we start to talk about police or even to contemplate what needs to change, right? We need to understand what box are we putting police in? How are we perceiving them, right? And so that's, and that's why, I, you know, we really want to go, or I thought we should really go from perception versus reality to talking about policing. Right, because the reality of them being human beings, 
the reality of them being having living lives and having emotional being having emotions right by the reality of them being affected by the world that's around them right and them having their own perception and then the reality of they have a fucking job to do where they go out and deal with ugliness their job is to deal with what's ugly right and then what can that do to a human being and their perception and stuff like that um because it, it digs into that if we can't see what glasses we're looking at them from or what box we're putting them in or how we're boxing them up or how we even got to perceive them that way right because when you told your story it i didn't even think about it it reminded me of my first story like my first time seeing the police right and i'll be honest like the first time i saw the police so the earliest memory that i can have of the police is watching them arrest my mother wow right and so that and so like when you said that now like and i went back there and i was like oh shit like oh okay like that that is my uh that's my <laughs> my first like when i when i dig and i, I don't want to i mean like can I ask you really quick though? Can I ask you really quick? Like, I'm, I'm, like looking back at it now. Do you see? Like, do you? Is it? Is it? I, I'm curious. Like, if you don't mind, and if you feel okay sharing this, like, what is your reaction? And then also, what is the, the validation of what Grandma had been teaching you, all along? Okay, so this was prior to Grandma. Oh, this was okay. Like okay. Teaching, teaching me okay. that. So this is like literally like my earliest. I think I was maybe like, probably like six-ish. Between, it's like one of those memories is so early, it's extremely hazy. I was like between five and seven. Um, I remember we were going on, and we used to take a, a trip during the summertime um, to uh, this place called Lums Pond. Um, just having birthdays and stuff like that. Anyway, we were headed out there. And we made a stop. And I remember we made this stop. And my mom got out the car. I went, whatever. When she's coming back, literally, the police officer walks out right behind her, fucking grabs her and, you know, whatever. And my dad gets out of the car and I think he tries to deal with it. Um, but he, you know, he can't save her, right? They caught her buying drugs or she had bought drugs from or whatever, from an undercover or something like that. And, uh, yeah, so I had to be dad take me and my sister home and then drive back out to, you know, bail my mom out of jail or see if we could bail my mom out of jail. Right. And so um yeah, I mean that's I guess, you know, sometimes you hate to tell stories like that because, you know, it's not just your life you're talking about, right? Somebody else's, right? Um, but yeah, no, that's my uh that's my, my early instance. And so what that actually did for me was if I look for like a root cause of like why you don't cause the police to solve problems in my, and that's, and that's why, because they take away the people you love. Mm. Right. And so that was my, my first right or wrong. Right. Yeah. Cause that was really before I really understood right and wrong in in a really integral way like like i didn't understand right and wrong at that age like really understand it right i didn't understand that this man was yeah i knew he was doing his job but i didn't know like you know 
Does that ever make any kind of sense? Like, we play cops and robbers or guns or whatever, like yeah. somebody else said, and, 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 you know, we did those things, like shoot 'em up games and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it, it was, uh, it was, even when we played cops and robbers, everybody wanted to be the robber, right? <laughs> Nobody wanted to be a cop. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and it, but it, it was it, I think it, it built it built that dynamic in me not to say the police were bad guys but like if we have an in-house problem solve it in-house don't call the police right and so um, and it built it built that it was the foundation of that principle um, I don't necessarily I guess when I was younger I might have looked at the cops as, as bad guys. N- not really. I think because I, my grandfather was a cop, I knew there were always rules to cops, to policing. And that, so I knew that as long, or I felt that as long as I followed those rules in that system, I would be safe. And if I was wrong, I would have recourse to right the wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I can give you, a, you know, another instance with, you know, a cop. I was trying to get into a club on New Year's Eve, and um, and and a and I was arguing with the bouncer. So the bouncer wouldn't let me in, and and the bouncer might have been saving my life because I think I later found out like that, like a whole like it was like majority of the people in the in the club were like members of one specific gang, right? <laughs> and they were like partying it up and obviously I wasn't a member of that so it might have been not good for me to be in that club on that night right but anyway he wouldn't let me in there and I wanted to get in and I looked rough at the time like I had a fro and my facial hair was all like blasted out like you know I wasn't really but I was going I was going to have a good time anyway but uh and so I'm I'm arguing with this bouncer about him not letting me in because I got money in my pocket like what's up like let me in right and so, so, and then as I'm arguing with him, I feel like somebody comes up behind me. I feel his hand at the back of my neck. Somebody clips my feet and I'm on the ground, right? And I turn and I'm like ready to fucking go, right? Like, I'm like, okay. So I'm like turning over and I see badge and face and cop. And I'm like, okay. I was like, okay. All right, cool. So then, you know, I get up, sit up, fucking hand behind my back, cuff me up talk to him he's talking to me it's like he gets my id and looking at my id and i'm talking to him and looking at his badge number and all this other kind of stuff so anyway he finds out that i'm not from like a neighborhood where it's like i'm a threat and he's like well fucking it's like i'm the fuck you doing down here but you know get get the hell out of here blah 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 gives me my stuff back well as he's doing that i'm talking to him i'm like well what's your badge number name yada blah it's like because like in my mind, like if you like, if you arrest me today, right? One, you wrong in the first place. You didn't have, you had no right to slam me on the ground like that. Two, right? Um, if you arrest me, fucking, uh, that's I'm, you know, I, I want to know who you are so I can fucking follow a report. You know what I mean? And I'm like, so maybe some will come from it, maybe it won't, but at least in the least of it. Right. To be honest, like maybe the threat of it will keep you from fucking locking me up over New Year's fucking weekend because I'll be locked up till Monday or Tuesday. I'll be locked up till like Tuesday. 
<laughs> and it's Friday. I'm gonna be in jail for four days. I don't want to be fucking jail for four days. <laughs> and if I am, you're right. Like I'm gonna file every report I can. Cause I'm gonna be fucking livid, right? And um, you know. And so any, anyway, they end up letting me let me go. End up just not even partying that night. Fucking ruin the night. Um, but so those are like some like negative occurrences with cops, but it was never a moment in my life, right, where I can literally say like I felt less safe hmm. than this officer. And that's and that's probably di- I, and I know that there are black people that are different from me where they did feel less less safe around police officers. Is that am I making any kind of sense? Yeah, absolutely. But I just there was I was one I wasn't into I decided not to go down that route I wasn't into that lifestyle right don't get me wrong did I do wrong things and fucking whatever did I have a cop pull a gun on me and stuff like that before absolutely um but I never I never crossed that bridge where I like saw every cop as a bad guy right but i can understand what other people do right but i did cross a bridge where i don't call i typically don't call the police to solve it, any problem i have like i and that's and that i don't know i probably need to get over that in life <laughs> but like as i was i was actually talking to somebody else i was like well don't pin, don't depend on the police to solve your problems <laughs> you know and so um it's weird you is know, that the police's job to solve our problems? Huh? Is that the police's job to solve our problems? Well, right. No, well, no, but yes, in some cases, it is. Right. So, in some cases, I feel like it is the police's because, again, their job. And if we recognize that their job is to deal with the ugliness of the world, like, you know, like. You call, if, if there's a fire, you can run into the fire and try to save people, but you call the fucking fire department yeah. because they're trained and they have the equipment to do so, right? If you're a regular everyday citizen, I would pray that the police are better trained to handle certain situations than you are, right? Just like I said, like, you know, not having the correct governor and then just other people not recognizing me as an authority figure, right? Like, what right do I have to tell you what to do? Like, it's not, that's not my job. Like, even if you did offend me or you did this or blah, 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 blah. Like me, like certain problems that if I were to handle in terms of seeking justice, I would be unjust in the act of going to seek justice. Yeah. And so that is, and that is what the police are there for but like i said i have an issue with that like i have an issue with that like certain personal disagreements or especially within family problems even if i know that violence might be the outcome right i would rather handle it in-house even though it would be better and safer sometimes to to contact an authority right like a police the police officer you know what i mean but it's just it's a tough question. And <laughs> we just walked down this whole thing. And I guess we're getting into that justice and compassion piece. 
right? Um, again, right? Whereas, whereas like, um, and it's again, those, those blinders, we try to think of justice here and compassion here, or maybe they're left and right. Justice is on this side of the equation. Compassion is on this side of the equation. When really and truthfully, they're kind of like, like this, right? And sometimes the just, the, the really just thing looks really discompassionate. And sometimes a really compassionate thing looks really unjust, right? <laughs> it's like, and, and as and and you hope and pray, you can create police officers, human beings who mesh that perfectly, right? They're the hand of great justice than the ultimate compassionate human being. But it's very hard because those two things are, are, are often yeah and we're asking them almost an impossible task in the sense of it's something probably most of us we're really honest we can't do it ourselves without the training of a police officer that's that's my that's my point of yeah still what are we are we asking yes we're asking them to handle that shit (laughs) certain shit yeah Um, i need to be able to ask police officers to handle but again i think i think the piece that scares us when it comes to family or personal disagreements is we're afraid that they, they won't be compassionate with the person, even though we're not even in a compassionate place anymore, but it's not, yeah. it's there. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's fascinating. You know, I remember Jared going on a ride along with a police officer in Santa Barbara nine years ago. And I got there and they said, you know, you're supposed to dress like more formally for the ride along. And so I had worn a jacket it was a colder night and I had got there and the front door of the police station was locked. So I was like, Oh shit, you know, I'm late, even though it was early. And so I'm rocking around the side trying to find it. And I had my hands in my pocket because it's cold, not thinking anything. And I'm walking up there and the officer who was going to do my ride along asked, you know, are you, are you Jesse Brisbane? And I said, yeah. And he said, he said, just say, you know, if you're ever going to walk up on a police officer, you probably shouldn't walk up on a police officer in a darker alley with your hands in your pockets. And I thought, you know, and so at first it's kind of like whatever, but now thinking about that in that context with you, what we're talking about right now, I think it's a really incredible metaphor. Like it's, it's, it's something that for us, it's a luxury to be able to put our hands in our pockets when it's cold. You know, it's a common sense thing. If it's cold, I want to be warm, put my hands in my pocket. In a police officer's world, when you're trained to deal with criminality and you also are trying to mitigate threats to yourself, to the community. Hands not visible is a threat piece, right? It could be a, it could be a realistic threat. And there's a time where those hands coming out could have a weapon. You know, we have, I think so many of the judgments we pass are on the, the few the instances we see that get the widestream publicity of what police officers do, and there's probably a lot of ones we don't see that they've done that haven't been the right decision, and unfortunately and tragically it results in loss of life or something horrible happening to people who shouldn't have ever had anything happen. And it's also I think to and that's not to say that is right or wrong, I think to actually go in and start to solve problems. We have to start solving problems by offering solutions versus a lot of it. I feel like most of the chatter doesn't go past right and wrong discussions or yelling or screaming. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's like, 
you and I were talking beforehand and I'll just throw this out there. And, and, and if I had Jesse, had control of the world for a day and I could make policies about different things. And, and this isn't, this is just, again, as an outsider, uh, a student of humanity, if you will, if an officer had an eight hour shift, I would mandate that the last, you know, maybe 45, maybe 30 minutes of that shift. So they're on the, they're out and doing their thing for whatever they have to come back and talk with somebody, a counselor or a mental health person or a therapist, whatever it is, and have that become part of the culture. Because I think one of the things that we're asking of anybody in a uniform, whether it's police officers, military, fire personnel, EMTs, doctors, et cetera, is we are asking them to bear burdens that most of us are incapable of bearing ourselves, or we don't know how to. And we are asking them to not only bear burdens, but then to stuff it down, suck it up, and then get back out there and deal with it because there's more stuff to deal with. You know, we can talk, like, the, I think that compassion justice place, piece is so fair. And we wonder, like, why is this happening? Well, going back to what you said early on with poker, right? When you're grinding it out like that, it feels like such a blah feeling. You're stuffing, 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 and you're looking so much for just a hit of something, some sort of release. I can imagine, and maybe people in law enforcement can chime in too, it, it, I get that it's part of the job. You know, I get that. I get that, that mantra or that code that we take on, that we are taking that on to, to do that. And I also understand as a human being that when we see and experience really rough and horrible things and we're stuffing it down, stuffing it down, stuffing it down, stuffing it down, we all have a capacity. And at some point, like where does that capacity explode? Where does that release point come from? Whether it's going and gambling $600 or it's, it's, I heard some statistic uh, last year in the fire department that suicides are starting to outpace on, on the death, on death dramatically or, you know, cause of death from occupational. These people are stuffing, 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 stuffing. Why? But then it's a cultural thing, right? So if you go and talk to somebody, are you fit for duty? Are you crazy? You're losing it. What if there's a cultural shift where it's just a culture thing that every day end of it, 30, 45 minutes, you're going and talking with somebody. And so it becomes comfortable and talking about your feelings, talking about how you're feeling. And that's not to vilify you or make you weak or anything else, but we start to empower our officers with discussing emotions and how they're feeling yeah. and, and working through those types of things. You know, maybe there's, maybe there's something there because if we're sending people out into situations where they may or may not have to pull, they, they have to go out with a, with a understanding that there could be danger onto them, that these are also human beings that have families behind the scene friends, people that they love and care about. And then we're asking them to make split second decisions that may or may not cost them their life. You know, I think that's a tough thing. And again, it's, it's a horrible that the wrong thing happens to really good people. It's awful. And if we, I think if we start if we try to police police by the horrible things that happen, 
and we're judging them as a whole from that perspective, that's, that's another challenge because I know plenty of people who are in law enforcement that they don't feel that way and they would condemn the bad stuff and they have, when they see it happening, they're saying, gosh, that's not who we are. But they're also in a place right now because they wear a badge, because they wear a uniform, they are really struggling with feeling like now the world hates them. And so now we, right. And we, that's, that is, I think so. You know, I have my one buddy who was a former cop. Yeah. He's a former homicide detective. And he now has, um, you guys don't know, he has a nonprofit called uh, Compassion Alliance, which does just that. They provide anonymous mental health assistance to um, first responders, police, EMTs, firefighters, um, former prior service military. And uh, so that those people can go and seek help and get the help they need without having to make that an official report to, to have their medical insurance paid for it. Because mm-hmm. um, once you do that, then it's an official report and people higher up can look at it, right? Um, and so it becomes, even just the fact that you want to see somebody becomes revealable data, which can negatively impact your career, right? And that's just real, right? That's, that's where the culture is and tough guy image and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's important. So hopefully Tony will come on like in the next week or so. Like uh, he's definitely going to come on during the police, during the police talks. I won't let him not come on. He's going <laughs> to get on here. Um, but uh, we'll see it. We'll see if it's next week. Hopefully it'll be next week. Um, waiting to hear back from him on that. Um, but I guess one more thing before we end it. Um, the police and compassion piece that we're talking, the justice and compassion piece that we're talking about. I want to give a lot of credit to um, a guy named Rob Marinelli, who's in a group. Uh, <laughs> um, and he had mentioned um, justice was the value he wanted to teach his kids. And I said, oh, you must have boys. And he said, oh, I have a boy and a girl. And he's like, I struggle between justice and compassion. And it just opened up this whole thing where I was like, okay, Jesse, well, we got on today. I was like, we got to talk about justice and compassion. Like, and just when we talk about police and how difficult it is for just a regular person to embrace that, let alone a person who regularly sees ugliness or the ugliest side of the world to both be compassionate and just, right? Especially when you, you know, it's just really difficult, right? You, it's really easy to get here and paint black and white. Yes. Right? And the more horror we see, the easier it is to be there. So when you can see that people are able to keep their, their mind open and treat each person as an individual and not to see them as threat, friend or foe, threat or whatever, then that's really, it's a hard trait. And, um, you know, guess my story from starting off today is I like to think of myself as a really put together person, <laughs> but obviously, you know, um, I fall into that, right? I fall into that, right? In, in various circumstances and cases in my life, whereas I am, I can see the cars speeding towards each other and I don't, I can't switch lanes, right? I can get to a point where I'm just like, we're gonna go, right? And, um, and uh, so <laughs> when you do see police actions and things like that, um, you have to ask yourself, right? Or you have to be like, 
how many times are they switching lanes, right? How many times are they able to fucking do like, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to meet you with the force that I could, right? And then you see people do, right? And you're like, well, that police officer, you know, wasn't right in that situation. You'll see other police officers, like you said, some condemn, some don't. Let's keep it real. <laughs> some condemn, some don't. Um, but it's it's but it's recognition recognition of how hard the job is, and then not having the support to that you need sometimes to be open, right? Not having not having that, and, and other than other than a bottle or shit talking, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which doesn't really necessarily um, help bring you out of this, right? It just helps suppress. Again, it just helps compact, right? It helps you become more numb. And um, and that's super dangerous, super dangerous, you know? I think it's too, it's an opportunity, Jared, for us all to look at and ask ourselves the question, what do we choose to believe? Yes. Right, because what we choose to believe, the narrative we choose to subscribe to is gonna dictate in large part, large part how we choose to see the world, that perception we focus in on. What are we, again, go back to the, um, am I racist if, right? Yeah. Or or are we, are you racist if? What are the layers that you're building into that? Yeah. Like not, not just, not just what am I choosing to believe, but how am I coming to that fucking belief in the first place? Yeah. Like, am I being real, right? Or am I just, Am I just like, is this all perception and conjecture, right? Or, or am I able to include like, you know, all of these other instances and all these other occurrences, all these other variables that, that, actually, that actually add substance to the equation, you know, that, that, that make that person in that uniform, you know, both what that uniform represents and who they are, but in a human being, yeah. it, right? Yeah. Are we, cause, cause I guarantee you on both sides of the issue, right? There are people who are just looking at the uniform and seeing good, right? And forgetting about the person, <laughs> right? And there are people who are just looking at the uniform and seeing bad and forgetting about the person. Yes. When the truth is, is, is in the middle. Yeah, right? and and, um, and uh, again, like I said, like I would say, I mean, the vast, the I, I see the the thing that says ninety nine percent. I would say the vast majority of cops are good, or else we would have real fucking issues. This would have been an issue way before, <laughs> way before people talk about it now. But like, you know, there is such a thing as catching a good person on a bad day. Yep. Right, and. That's real, right? And you can catch a good person on a bad day and and bad things can happen, which is why, like I said, I want I want to have, his name's Tony, I want to have Tony on so he can talk about the Compassion Alliance and so you can, you can kind of mitigate the bad days, right? Um, and because I, yeah, so I, I'll be super clear. I would say that the 99-1 is true, right? I'd say the 99% cops, great. 1% 
piece of shit. POSs, right? But I would say you can probably throw in another 10% that you don't want to catch on a bad day. You know what I mean? That yeah. you don't want to catch on a bad day. And if we can find processes to help people mitigate the bad days, and those are also sometimes the ones that guys are much, much less likely to go out there and say something on. Like, cause that's their friend, that's their buddy, that's their da 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 da. Yeah. He, he was really rough with that person, man, but he's going through a divorce, right? Or his wife, he just found out his wife just cheated on him. Yeah. Or like, you know what I mean? Or, you know, cause I think that happens to cops quite often, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I think that's the, the thing that happens to cops because you become most, so emotionally distant that it's very hard to have a productive relationship with people you care about, right? Um, when you When you have that kind of a job. Um, anyway, TMI, too much information. I think I'm digging too deep for today, but um, justice and compassion. We're gonna fucking dig on it. Bring my buddy Tony from Compassion Alliance. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make Jesse say some things that they're gonna that he's gonna be like. Oh, I don't know if that makes me look good. We'll see if I can if I can get him there. <laughs> he always gets me there. We'll see if I can get him there. <laughs> yeah. Jared, I, I love that that distinction. 10% you want to see on a bad day. I've never heard that said before. And I think that is such a, I think that's such an incredible distinction. And it's, and it gets back to that piece of, if we play in that world, if we, what we believe, like the 1% this, you know, it's, it's the same. We know of the instances where policing went wrong. Do we know the names of all the times that went right? All the people that were saved, we don't because we just think, well, that's what they're supposed to do. But those are still human beings out there. Yet, yeah. if, if we are, in most of us, if we were ever to do a good deed of some sort or have some sort of significant thing, we would often, that would be our drinking story we tell for the rest of the time, our lives. At one time <laughs> when I did this, right? So I love, I love that you said that, that 10% on a bad day. I, I feel like maybe even it's, that number might even be bigger because that's the human part of all of us. I know if I had a bad day, there's not, you don't want to see me on a bad day. <laughs> you know? And so, and I don't have that kind of responsibility where I'm making life or death decisions for the most part. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to having this conversation evolve with you. I'm looking forward to chatting with Tony and also wanting to open it up to where other people who are, might be in the group or in law enforcement, know someone who's in law enforcement that might be, open to having discussions with Jared and I about this. Like, I think that would be really invaluable to, I think this will probably be a, this is a pretty, you know, really, I think this is a lot of a, gosh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Heated discussion <laughs> to have, but it's also one that needs to have. And I think it's one that if we're all going to grow together, this is a really incredible space to grow in. And on that space of justice and compassion, what, Jared said, many of us want to have the justice piece right away. To get to justice, we might, not have to, we might have to extend some compassion to one another, especially as we talk through this. And as each of you contribute, which we invite you to do, you know, sometimes we're so quick to want to defend or, or to point out why our perception is right. I encourage you and challenge all of you to ask questions instead of, instead of pointing things out. Ask questions of everyone. Why do you believe this? You know, what experiences in life have led you to this? And then when they explain it, don't 
devalue them for that and just say, well, that's completely out there or wrong, but ask them more questions. You know, consider that every person who comments, every person who contributes has something to teach you because they've lived a different life than you have. They see the world through a different set of glasses and that doesn't make neither one of you right nor wrong. What it does make you both is it makes you both people who deeply care about humanity and are generally wanting to see positive change in the world, as are all of us. So again, treat one another, and this isn't to say we aren't, but it's to challenge you all to level up your compassion and extend to each other as you have discussions about this. If you normally give points, ask questions. If you normally ask questions, give points. There's a, there's a beautiful reward that can come in risk and that is that we all can learn and grow together. So, yeah, um, wonder. It's, I, I think we, I, I don't want to go too long. I think we probably should end it. But I think that the toughest part about getting a cop on or having someone be able to, some people be able to see the humanity of a police officer right, and, and see them as a human being outside of, is that is so, the profession, and even in the military, right, is so, you, you're taught to be such a John Wayne type individual. You know what I mean? I don't talk about emotions. I don't show, I, the only emotion that's safe to show is anger. Yeah. Right? And, and when you, unless you know people like that, like, and are close to them, then you don't know the other sides of those emotions, right? Or sometimes when you're close to them, you really don't know it, or you just, you, you just <laughs> but uh, if you're too close, but like if you, um, if you don't, if you don't, you're not around enough of that, then you don't know that those people think and they feel and they have to cope and, you know what I mean? They have real emotions, but the job makes it so John Wayne. It's so, it's so, that bravado image right and then you and then you try i think what the failure is to is that nobody wants to corrupt that by coming out and being human like if you had cops like you see i've like seen posts every once in a while right um and i've seen some female cops or a female cop post and she was like crying and all this other kind of stuff and it was it went viral but you very rarely see like male guy cops get on there and say, like, and voice any other feeling or emotion than anger. Does that make any kind of sense? Yeah. And so it makes it hard for people to, who don't understand to have that empathy and compassion or whatever, right? That don't, cause you know, and that's, and that's not, you'd be fucked up if you saw a cop out in the street crying in front of you. You know, <laughs> you don't want to call a police officer and see them being like, you know, <laughs> you want to see them taking care of business, handling the ugliest situations in the world, right? And so anyway, TMI, too much information. But I, like we could go, I could go on and on and on and on on this. That's why we're going to make this like last for a little bit longer. Um, but that's you just like you said the first is you know what what are you choosing to believe and then what are you what are you using to build that belief all right i, I gotta stop i gotta stop jesse i think we've been on here for like this is a long 
<laughs> All right, everybody. We look forward to your comments and your discussion. So let's remember safe space, support one another, love on each other. And we're all building this bridge together. We'll see you next week, everybody.